This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Joining me by phone is Fordham University's Theater Program Administrator, Carla Jackson. She'll discuss a new documentary she co-produced called Black Suns, an Astrophysics Adventure. It follows two African-American scientists as they travel to different countries to track a series of solar eclipses. The award-winning film also touches on the importance of diversity in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. First, I want you to tell me about this film. What is it about this film that drew you to it? Well, one of the things that my husband and I, we're a filmmaking team, um, and our purpose in what we do is to tell stories that don't generally get told, and also to help people make sure that all the dreams that they have, whether it's starting a business or creating a film or working in theater, in some way, if we can have some something to do with being able to make sure that they change their dreams into doing, that's what we do. So our company is called The Bridge, and we call ourselves The Bridge because we're the bridge between dreaming and doing. And what happened was our first film, which is called A Swingin', without the G, Trio, was in a festival. And at that festival, Kelvin Phillips, the director and uh, also producer, uh, spoke with Dr. Jerita Holbrook. She was screening her film called Hubble's Diverse Universe. And they got to talking, and she had this idea for a film, and she hired us to help, us, to help her get it done. And now, that's how it all started. And, and tell me about the film. What is the film about mm-hmm. specifically? The film is about really three people. Dr. Jarita Holbrook is one of the entities in the film. She is also an astrophysicist. She's also a cultural astronomer. But she's also the narrator slash host that brings us through the journey that the two gentlemen who are the main subjects, which is Dr. Alphonse, Sterling and Dr. Hakeem Olushei, um, are it's mainly their stories, how they became scientists, why they became scientists, what interests them, and then also some of the difficulties and also some of the wonderful things that have happened along the way. The whole point of the film is to show that, one, being a scientist isn't always just sitting behind a desk and looking at a stethoscope or, or some sort of microscope of some sort. It's not always that. And um, it's also to show that whatever your background, there's almost always a way to make something happen in your world if you were determined enough to do it. So let's discuss uh, in detail some of the key players in the film. Let's start with Dr. Hakeem. Um, he had a very, very different background from Dr. Alphonse. So what kind of yes. background did, did Dr. Hakeem have? Dr. Hakeem Alushei didn't live in the same city or same town um, for a year at a time. So every year he was in another city, another state, and so forth. So that also means he was in another school. And anyone who deals with education and children will understand how difficult that could be for a young person to be able to get all of the academic information that he needs as he's growing up. So years went by. So further and further he was getting behind, but he was so smart that somehow along the way, once he finally was able to be old enough to go to college which, and get through high school, He managed to get that far, but then while he was at uh, college, he started to realize just how much he didn't know because he was able to get through on the strength of his personality, um, some of the the curriculum wasn't that challenging, Um, but he managed somehow when he finally made it to Stanford, which is incredible in itself, he started 
taking classes in some of the higher level mathematics and some of the higher level science, and he wasn't doing that well at first, and in particular in a math class. So he decided, you know, now you remember what those huge, giant math books were oh, in college yes. and high school and so forth. He decided he was going to do every problem in that particular math book until he got it right. And from then on, he always made A's. He was just that determined, in spite of the fact, as I said, that the background when it came to the academics in high school and elementary and so forth, in spite of the fact that he practically didn't have one home from one year to the next. And he also was a gang member, right. all the way up to Stanford. Right. I read, but, one of my favorite parts yeah. in, the, in, in the film was when he said uh, when he was going off to college, his brother-in-law said, don't trust anyone. And his mother yes. gave him a hug and a gun. So that tells yes. you that, you know, you're going to Stanford, but protect yourself. That's that's sort of the, the direction that his life had gone in in the very beginning. And this is what they knew. Mm -hmm. This is what they knew. It wasn't in any way, you know, it sounds outrageous perhaps to some of us, but what actually, if you think about from where they came from and what their background was, they were actually taking care of him. Right. But thankfully, through what I call science language or the language of science, you know, he was able to start to understand that there was a much bigger world. And, you know, he loved Einstein. Even growing up, he started learning about Einstein. So those are there was these little droplets of information that fascinated him. And thankfully, we'll call it a thread to science, and he just kept pulling on that thread. And even seeing how uh, he said at one point the academic field became became a level playing field because here he is, this kid who, you know, obviously was mistrust, yep. very mistrusting growing up, and he got that professor, the one that gave him the yes. key. Can you tell me what happened with that? What happened was he was going to be part of a not only taking academic classes, but you also have to take, uh, you know, the science classes behind it, the type of trial and error in science groups. So the professor said to him, okay, well, you're going to need to have a key to my office. You're going to need a key to the building. And he starts handing him all these keys. Now, this is a young man who up to then barely had to own his own home. And if anyone had ever handed him a key, uh, you know, right. it would be something that he would assume is the key to the jail, that practically, because right. there's no way anyone ever trusted him so much. But he realized that through science, he was able to open a door where people said, all we want from you is your best. And to give us that on a daily basis. Like we said, it, it sort of leveled the playing field for him. Yes. He saw what the difference was in how you, you can live your life, what you can learn from it, and that people weren't looking at him as an African-American, per se. They were looking at him as a budding scientist. And that's that's an incredible thing for anyone, you know, who is trying to make their way in the world. So there were some disparities along the way, but generally speaking, he found that that changed the color, shall we say. And it seems like his upbringing was, you know, a complete 180 from uh, Dr. Alphonse Sterling. So tell me about his background. You know, Alphonse grew up in a, you know, shall we say, typical home. <laughs> typical middle-class home. Mm -hmm. Actually had a home that, you know, from one day to the next similar when it came to the education. Um, for him, what really also started pressing his buttons when it came to science is that he started discovering there were different types of scholarships. He was good at science. I think it was the math that it wasn't so much. But um, this particular area, he said, wow, I could go to college for free. I could learn. I could live in other countries. I could study languages. I'm in. 
In fact, one of the most beautiful things I remember Alphonse saying was that one of the reasons um, where he ended up working was at JAXA, J-A-X-A, in, uh, with NASA in uh, Japan. And one of the things that he said he loved so much about Japanese language, which he's pretty much fluent in, was that it reminds him of numbers, mm-hmm. that it flows in such a way. And he just thought that was that was fantastic. So, yes, his his we can call him, quote-unquote, the more typical but it, he also had to find a way to expand his horizons, and he used the, the language of science to be able to get there. You did get to meet um, um, Dr. Dr. Holbrook, right? Yes. Yes. She's an incredible person, yes. What uh, did she go through? Because they didn't really touch on her. She was more the host of this documentary. Exactly. So exactly, we didn't exactly. get to hear a lot about her. We just saw her kids near well, the end, her and her kids in the end. She, you know, I mean, the numbers will tell you. If you start looking at... Um, when you start looking at gender differences in the sciences, when you start looking at uh, racial disparities, when you start looking at cultural differences, um, there's a lot of misogyny, and there is still a lot of racial uh, tensions within the science community, things that many people are working to correct, but it is still an issue. And that's one of the reasons why she wanted to do this film, is to let people know that many people of color are out here trying to make they make their dreams, make their passions, make their challenges come true. And we, as a society, have to work harder to make sure that we don't shut doors to allowing our young people to be able to walk through and be able to make those discoveries that everyone should have the chance to have. Right. And you would think that people wouldn't overtly do this, but there are subversive ways of doing this. For example, telling a, a kid for in high school maybe, no, you know, don't worry about college, go the technical route when that's not what they want to do. If they want to go the technical route, fine. But if not, then, then help them get into that college. Encourage them to go into the maths and the sciences. Absolutely. And that, I, it's interesting because um, I was actually, before I started studying theater, I was actually a math major. And, um, and I was very lucky. I was, there was a lot of support going through. But when I look back at it, I was very lucky that I had that support because there were people. I remember being in a calculus class and having um, some of the students, some of the male students around me um, not want me to tutor them mm. because they felt that I wouldn't be able to give them uh, enough of an edge to make it worth the time that they would have to pay mm. to tutor. So they... Um, had male students tutor them, and I got the A. They did not, but that's okay. <laughs> and Carla, <laughs> no. let me ask you, what made you stay in math? Because we're, we're, I'm always reading these statistics that say when female student gets, I guess it's about seventh grade, uh, or when she supposedly starts discovering boys and sort of begins to dumb down her science and math so that she can increase the giggling, for lack of a better word, to attract the, the guy she likes. <laughs> There's gotta be, you can't both. Yeah, you can't. Oh, of course not. You can't have both, sarcastically, I say. Um, But what made you or encouraged you to continue with math? You know, if anyone meets Lois Jackson, my mother, (laughs) you, that alone will explain my entire life. My mother um, was a special education teacher for 40 years in New York City. And the reason why is because she knew that as long as you keep working at it, and if you assume that they that the young people that are in front of you are capable, amazing, and positive, that you will make sure that they can get to whatever heights that they want to get to. So my mother, absolutely, Lois right. Jackson is the one who said, if you find this interesting, 
then let's go see where we can go with that. And it was wonderful. I've, and what's interesting is the process, you know, all of the calculations, all of the step-by-step, all of those things are things that I use right now as a theater administrator. You know, the diligence, the, you know, paying attention to detail, I still use in the art. And for me, what it also did was make me understand watching some of these young people who had far more difficulties when it came to, shall we say, learning uh, abilities. I knew there was no way I was ever going to quit. Yeah. I would, I can't, I, if these folks can make it, mm-hmm. how in the world can I not also find a way to make it and then make sure that someone who's standing next to me gets there, too? Right. That's that's one of that's one of the codes. If you're going to be in the Jackson household, you never <laughs> get where you're going alone. Right. And so you had that you had that yeah. that somebody behind you to help motivate you and push you and encourage you and at times threaten. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. And I have a twin sister. So that didn't hurt either. But that's a that's an environment that not everyone has. Yeah. And and that's what our young people need someone there to tell them that and to encourage Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um That's part of the reason why I'm the theater administrator is because I saw Fordham Theater. I I graduated from the Fordham Theater performance uh track, but um as a theater major. But I saw what it did. Being a theater major is very similar in a lot of ways when it comes to science. You have to be able to figure out how to make you know, you have an end goal. So you have to back your way into that end goal. You gotta look at what all the steps are involved. If you're smart as a scientist, you're smart as a theater person, you know how to network. You know how to write. You know how to go the extra mile and you also know how to create the circle of friends. All of these are things that everybody in the world needs to be able to do. So that's one of the reasons why I took the position is because I knew what it did for me. I've been able to work on films. I've worked on Broadway. I was um, one of the producing partners for the original Jitney uh, with August Wilson's Jitney. Um, So all of these things are things that you've got to be able to have people um, within your circle, hopefully family, but also outside of that saying, we're going to make this happen. Let's do this. And if you don't have it, you you probably have to try to find it. You have to have that confidence to try to find it. Exactly. And we need to make it easier for young people to do that. It can't be that they're struggling in the dark. We need to be able to open the doors, cut the lights on, and if we need to, occasionally kick in some doors for them. Right. You know, this is what's very scary, you know, with some of the changes that are happening in curriculum, uh, curriculums across the country, some of the changes that are some of the uh, defunding of different science programs, some of the apprenticeship and jobs and so forth. All these things are all related to math and science and, and all the other different types of categories. If we don't make sure that these things happen, how will we have a future of bright, forward-thinking young people if we don't make it happen today? Yeah. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon talking with Fordham University's Theater Program Administrator, Carla Jackson. She co-produced the documentary, Black Suns, an astrophysics adventure. It follows two African-American scientists as they travel to different countries to track a series of solar eclipses. And getting back to, to your film, An Astrophysics Adventure, did you choose Kelvin Phillips to be the director? Well, what happened was when Kelvin was in uh, San Diego screening our film and he met Jarita, Dr. Jarita Holbrook, that was part of the conversation was, okay, we're going to help get this film produced. We're going to make sure we help get the funding, which we did, by the way. Getting into this film, who did you perceive as the audience for this film? When we were looking at the film, um, 
there were three audiences, shall we say, were our first. And, you know, sometimes a film becomes what it is. It isn't always what you start out with you think you're going to have in your mind. But definitely we thought scientists would find this interesting because there is a lot of jargon that a layman can definitely understand. But if someone does have some understanding of astronomy or astrophysics, then you know, even more so, they'll enjoy it even more because they'll also understand why it's so important. Because the reason why these gentlemen, um, they are astrophysicists, and then part of their job, but not all of their job, is to chase eclipses, is because when they're doing specific scientific studies and scientific, and they need the data, the data they get from the lip, shall we say, of the between the sun and the eclipse. There's just this little bit of information that they can't get anywhere else, and it only happens when you have a specific. Um, like if you have a lot of uh, clouds and so forth, you can't get it. If you have, you know, a different, if you get rained out, it's only when it's just about perfect. So what they were able to do was be able to um, follow these different eclipses in order to be able to get this as part of their um, jobs. These guys are not just your t- atypical sit-behind-the-desk folks. These are people who go out, do what they've got to do, and try to make sure that young people like themselves, you know, are able to see it. So besides having scientists enjoy the film, we also thought that young people who were thinking about what they wanted to do, maybe maybe somewhere from, we say, middle school, high school on up, found themselves really good at science but didn't know which direction to go into, mm-hmm. we wanted to show them that there's so many different choices you could make in order to be able to see frankly, where, where the, you know, I hate to use the analogy, but the sky and the stars are the limit. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right, right. What makes the solar eclipse so interesting? The eclipse is something that has been a phenomenon of one, you know, whether it be one eclipse or the other. Or the other. But eclipses are something that have fascinated mankind since the beginning of time. You know, we've used the stars, the moon and sun to guide us, you know, on our travels across the country by land, by sea, by air. All of these things are things that we've paid attention to. And many times when the eclipse occurred, you know, that was a way for people to make decisions about where to put their crops or perhaps maybe they weren't doing the right thing in life. So eclipses have been this mysterious thing that has happened, you know, for centuries, obviously, you know, for thousands and thousands of years and so forth. So people are, have, it's interesting, anyone you talk to just about knows has either experienced or seen either live or um, on television or has some level of understanding of what an eclipse is. So that was not difficult, getting people that was like, what, this is part of their job? How cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so there's a science part of it that's really fascinating about why we need to get this information, but there's also this wonderful Earth-slash-star-bound connection, because, you know, we're all made of stars. We're physically made of stardust, human beings. So how can we not want to know why this happens and how it happens? And then even when you do know, put that aside. Let's look at the beauty of it. So, Carla, there was a part in the film where, and I don't want to give too much away, but after a few disappointments, Hakeem and Alphonse uh, and, and the audience also felt this anticipation of waiting for this, to- this total eclipse. You, you know what part I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. uh, oh. <laughs> so how, I mean, me and my producer were both going, this is suspenseful, you know, we're watching it. So what, <laughs> how did that scene make you feel? Well, there's two parts that were absolutely very exciting. There's one in Japan, 
and then there's one in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to talk about the one in Japan for a second, what was great is I was on the phone and also online and tweeting and talking about, <laughs> okay, we're, th- we're three minutes in. We've got two minutes to count down. So it was, I was online. It was wonderful. I was getting questions, and um, I was getting requests, and I was sending out photos. <laughs> so we had people from all over the world, and even in also in Australia, from all over the world joining in with us uh, while we were experiencing the eclipse. So I, I wasn't there, but I was able to, through the Internet, to see what was happening at the same time. And I am someone who, I you know, let's put it this I'm very I, – I, I love our earth. I mean, one of the things, growing up in Queens, we had a backyard full of vegetables, and I used to be the Mm -hmm. gardener. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to dig my hands. And so in Eclipse and and being able to be one with the sun and understanding what's happening and how it's that was, it doesn't get much better than that. It doesn't get much better than that. So it was really wonderful that we were able to do kind of a live uh, showing with the one in particular in Japan, not so much in Australia, but a lot of post-information that went on. Yeah. And um, do you? How do you think, uh, Kelvin Phillips, the director? How did he create this tension, or was it just there and they filmed it? Now you know film is magic. <laughs> <laughs> what magic the did the wizardry post. of Kelvin Phillips? <laughs> how did he? But that's what I mean. By abracadabra. He, you know, it's both. The answer is both. There was a lot of tension, but you also make sure as a director and working side by side with your editor, by the way, the ed- the final editor was this wonderful student from UT who graduated, um, and but she was one of the people who went to Japan with us. She went to Australia. She's one of the cinematographers and so forth. So she and Kelvin practically side by side helped get to this final version. Um, but I remember hearing him on the phone going, oh, my God, look, look at this. <laughs> you know, so it's partially that it was there, but it's also partially having a really smart director and editor, making sure that, because you can shoot it, but if you don't edit it right, you know, right. You, can there, you, can, you can make something fantastic, boring, and something boring, fantastic. Right. What we did was find both and make sure, you know, whatever, whatever wasn't quite that, you know, you put that to the side, but you find the best of the best, because you, you have multiple cameras also. Yeah. So you find the best of the best. And they put it all together. It was, it, I, 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 you know, it's interesting. I am, I am married to the director, but <laughs> it's one of the best parts about it is watching him in action. It's, Wait, you're married to Kelvin? Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. It just clicked. It just clicked. <laughs> Have you gotten any, any feedback uh, yet from the movie? And if so, what kind? One of the best things about this process is if you're a smart filmmaker, you do a lot of screenings. So we had multiple screenings, you know, to make sure because you, you know what you see, but you're so involved in the in the film, you're not sure what you're necessarily what you see is what you're presenting. Mm-hmm. So we had multiple screenings in Austin, Texas, actually, because we were living there at the time in the, the first few. Um, and then we also had some screenings in New York and so forth. So um, what some of the best feedback that some of the things that we walk away with is that um, for those who didn't really know that much about eclipse, they were eclipses. They were able to learn more about the the science of it. But what was even more exciting, they were able to sit and think about, well, how how can I be able to? You know, I've always been a little bit interested in math. I've always 
you know, I was in the back of the classroom, but I've always been interested in math, and I've always been interested in science. Maybe, maybe I could do this, too. And that's the thing that we walk away with that's so exciting to us is that people, their interest in science, just general laymen having their interest in science be piqued, because why wouldn't we? This is a beautiful world. Let's learn as much as we can. And then having young people say, you know, just because I don't always see as many people as like that look like me in the science classroom, maybe it's time for me to be the one in front of the classroom. Mm. How do I get there? Mm. How do I do that? Maybe I need to be the one to get to a place exactly. where I can motivate other people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what's great, too, is by doing this film, there's two parts. People, people also have a better understanding about how art can also help enhance the sciences. We've been able to talk to some young people because they're interested in creating their own documentaries, mm. um, you know, in particular science documentaries. In some cases, they just want to do documentaries talking about um, people of color who are in positions that you don't often see. For us, What's the most important thing is that we've been able to tell a story that people don't always get to hear, and we've been able to tell it in a way that inspires others. So we can sleep well, shall we say. <laughs> you know, so, so we start, you still get work on the next one. <laughs> until, until, you get to the next one until you get to the next one. And so we know that the film uh, won the jury prize at the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival. How did that make you feel? We were completely surprised. There were over 100 films Wow! in the... Um, in the in the entire festival, so and of course I had bronchitis, so I couldn't oh, go. Oh no! <laughs> we didn't know we were going to get it, but I t- it was so funny because we got an email talking about the festival and the award ceremony. I said, "Oh, you should go! You should go to this. You know, we'll meet. It'll be great. We'll meet a bunch of folks. You know, you, you just never know. So you should definitely do this." And the next thing we knew. <laughs> you know? So Carla, I want to talk a little bit about uh, STEM classes. What should academia do, or schools do, or teachers do, or uh, what can be done in order to get more minorities in the fields of, of science and math and technology, in your opinion? One of the things that I think is extremely important is we must, must start early. We need to make sure that when young people are even as um, middle school to elementary school, that they're, that they're involved in projects that make them think outside of the box. Um, because that's the beginning of science, taking them out in the world to see how the world works. I think I think academics a lot of times are too busy just dealing with the books um, and just taking tests in some cases. What we need to show is how many of these things that are in the books are have real world applications. As I said, Dr. Alphonse Sterling, some of the work that he was doing has to do with satellites. Well, that's a it doesn't get any more real world than that because satellites uh, are involved in so many different things that we do today that we need, you know, whether it be phones, whether it be television, you know, and so forth. So what I think is most important is that we start very early encouraging all of our children and making sure we, do, we don't discourage, in particular, young women, but all of our children to see how the science in the book actually applies in the real world and then to continue to support that as they move further up. And when it comes to college and so forth, making sure that the classes are just as interesting as it was when you were a little kid and someone was able to show you how photosynthesis worked. I think that's where we need to start. And we need to, and we also, all of us need to spend a little time making sure that we broaden who we are and, and how we 
teach our young people because every everyone a young person gets in touch with or has encountered can be someone that can help move them to the next place. So even if you're not a scientist, that doesn't mean you can't help perhaps pay for a tutorial for them. Even if you're not a scientist, doesn't mean you can't sit down and help them go through their homework. Just make them teach you what it is. So we all have a part to play in this. And, and then at the end of the day, it only makes the earth better. It only makes humanity better if we all make sure that we do support our young people in that way. And Carla, what is next for uh, your documentary, Black Suns, an astrophysics adventure? What's next? We're still in the midst of what's called festival season. There's a few festivals that we've applied to that we're waiting to hear back from. Um, and But in addition to that, we're being contacted by from different colleges. Um, in some cases, it's the science department. But what's also been really wonderful is um, some of the colleges and universities have gotten together. So you'll have um, an astronomy department working with the urban studies department um, wanting to put this together also, or perhaps the social sciences. And the reason why it's working that way is because they understand this is also about how do we diversify our STEM uh, classes. So Carla, what's next for your company, The Bridge? There's a particular song um, that we're looking into uh, because everyone does it summertime. And what we want to do is start talking to the musicians about why. What is the background? What is it that summertime does for you, Mr. Country Singer, compared to you, Mr. Jazz Master, mm. compared to you, R&B Singer? What is that through line? That's it for my questions. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, I quite enjoyed it. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'd like to thank my guest, Carla Jackson. And I'd also like to thank my producer, Marina Koff. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. Summertime and the living things easy. Fish are jumping.